Welcome back to another Box Box WSL episode. I'm Alex Ibaceta. I said it right. Your host. And as usual, I am joined by Jesse and Abdullah for what seems like the first time in a while that we're going to talk about the WSL because last time we forgot to press record. So it's been a couple of weeks. But how are you guys? Yeah, good. Yeah, not too bad. And probably what, the, the last time for the season we talk about the WSL? So. Yeah, maybe we'll see if we get any transfer podcast episodes throughout the summer, but who knows, who knows. Uh, But the WSL season is done. It's wrapped up. It's weird to know that there's no more WSL on for another few months. Um, But Chelsea are back-to-back WSL champions with a 5-0 win over Reading. And unfortunately, Bristol City did not do enough and they got relegated into the championship after a 3-1 loss to Brighton. Jesse. You know, now you got to you got to inhale the the winning feeling. Uh, how are you feeling? Yeah, I feel much better today than I did yesterday because I engaged in maybe a few too many celebratory drinks on Sunday night. So I'm glad we're All doing right, this Sam on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, I took uh, Sam Kerr's <laughs> celebrations and was like, I want what she's having, which was beer. <laughs> yeah, fair. Sam Kerr did a, a media day yesterday and she didn't do it with her camera on. So I suspect that celebrations might have something to do with that. But who knows? Um, but a roundup, a quick roundup of the last day of the WSL. Aston Villa needed just a draw. Even Bristol City won. If Aston Villa would have managed to draw, they would have stayed up. And they got it. Um, they got a nil-nil draw against Arsenal somehow. And they're in the WSL another season. Um, but Kit Grand gave Tottenham a 1-0 win over Birmingham City. And we'll talk about Birmingham City and Carla Ward later on. You know, Manchester United ended their season on a high with a 2-0 win over Everton. And Mackenzie Arnold saved both Sam Mewis and Roosevelt's penalties. And City grabbed a mere 1-0 win over West Ham. And obviously we'll get into each match later on. But we're going to start with the champions. A 5-0 win over Reading to, for Chelsea to clinch their second consecutive WSL title. Melanie Lopez opened the scoring in the second minute. And that just, you know, two minutes in... That's it. I think. I think after that, there was no way that Chelsea was gonna was gonna stop, take their foot off the pedal for that. But at the same time, you know, I think being at the game, Jesse, we we spoke about it. Chelsea didn't, you know, it seemed a bit deflated. They seemed a bit, you know, kind of still sleeping, um, and they didn't score again until the forty third minute through Fran Kirby. Maybe it was because the last day of the season. Maybe they were tired. I don't know. But I was expecting more at least. Um, but the second half was definitely a bit more lively with three goals from Kirby, Kurt, and Cuthbert. And Jesse was mad because Kurt didn't score last. Um, because if that would have happened, then um, Sam Kerr would have gotten the first goal of the season and the last goal of the season. But Aaron Cuthbert ruined that and Jesse was a bit pissed off to that. But anyway, Jesse, you know, we'll, we'll stick to you. Was this bit of a almost underwhelming win for you? Yeah, I mean, I think when Loipot scored so early on um apparently this was a, it was the earliest goal of the the season in the WSL it kind of felt like then it never really seemed like reading were going to come back they did well to like frustrate chelsea and i think we should give them some credit it was quite interesting to see Tash Harding kind of almost at points um, moving back into like a wing back position to give them a five at the back. And they really like looked to push Chelsea in midfield, kind of almost playing a five four one. But the problem was it felt like Chelsea were going to continue kind of pushing and it didn't really need to matter that that they were a bit off the pace. Just felt like everyone was tired. And, and it's been a long week, you know, the, the semi-final against Bayern Munich was obviously incredibly intense. And then they had Tottenham in the week too. So I think really there was a sense of they knew that they'd probably got over the line almost immediately and I'd kind of prefer for them not to exert themselves and I think the tiredness thing holds because when Cuthbert and Wrighton came on you kind of saw a different Chelsea and obviously those are two players are a lot fresher so hopefully now they've just got the this week to kind of go away and and maybe have a bit of a relax before the, the Champions League final and hopefully we'll see them a bit sharper in that game. Yeah, definitely. Going on that point about Reading, they definitely got in the right positions. They definitely got, you know, a lot of good chances, but their decision making was so poor. It was that that last minute decision of, of either sending an early ball into the box or making that little run on the wing. It was just 
they didn't have that, but they did everything else right, which is really impressive. They have really, really good players, but for some reason, they all make, not all of them, of course, but a lot of them make the wrong decisions in crucial moments. And I think that's where Reading couldn't get the better of Chelsea. But, you know, it wasn't, you know, it was a 5-0 win, yes. But was it a very convincing win? Was it, you know, an on-point, a woken up, on-the-pace Chelsea, you know, with everyone, like, at the top of their game. Abdullah, was this a good game for Chelsea ahead of the Champions League final? I mean, I think it's, I mean, the scoreline suggests so, right? I mean, they won 5-0 at the end of the day. It's, uh, you know, if you if someone's just reading the headlines, it's a emphatic, emphatic uh, victory. But, um, you know, just kind of echoing what Jesse said, I think they didn't need to be very, um, they almost didn't need to be very good on the day. I think they had enough quality to go, you know, to, to go ahead and, and win the game anyway. And kind of getting that early goal, it's, it's almost like the early goal just kind of, you know, gave them an excuse to be, all right, we can slow it down, take our time, not exert too much energy and, and just kind of play, you know, without really, you know, without, without putting too much energy into it. And I think in some sense, it's okay. I think if Reading had gotten back into it, I think we would have seen Chelsea ramp it up a little bit. And obviously fatigue does play a part, but I think we would have, they would have increased the tempo. But I think just kind of going into it, getting a, I mean, getting a 5-0 win is like, conf, just get your confidence boosted. I mean, not, not like they didn't, they need it. They've just, they've just won the league. You know, they, they could have won it 2-0 and still, you know, still been confident going into the final. But I think any victory with, you know, a high number of goals, regardless of opposition, will always give you that confidence. And going into the final, I think, um, you know, it, it'll just give them that belief and more kind of just instill that belief that, all right, we, we know we can score goals. It's just a matter of containing it at the back. Yeah, that's fair to say. And obviously, you know, it's been a hardworking season for Chelsea to, to achieve everything that they have. Obviously, they've only lost one game in the entire season. Been a long time coming to kind of just put everything to rest and kind of just, you know, just take a big sigh of relief um, that now that they clinched the title. Um, Jesse, you know, everything is done. You can't, you get to look back on everything. How do you feel about Chelsea this season? Yeah, it's been an amazing season. And I think, there are two things that really kind of stand out to me. One, it's really impressed me how good Chelsea looked against all the big teams this season. You know, um, it's not easy, but like lots of teams in that top four win those games against the rest of the division. But really, with maybe the exception of that Man City draw, Chelsea looked head and shoulders, I think, above United, City and Arsenal for, for much of those seasons in those head-to-heads. And that's not something we've always seen, you know, and I think that's something that's a credit to Emma Hayes and her side. And I feel like she's and maybe to get the best, how to get round those teams, as it were. And I think the other thing that's kind of interesting slash scary is it kind of feels like it could just be the start, you know, Sam Kerr's obviously been here since January of last year, but she's obviously had an amazing season. This was Frank Kirby's First season back fully fit. I don't think we really saw the best of Penila Harder at all. Um, she had some great moments, but I don't think you. She doesn't stand out as like an integral member of the team, even though she she did play that role for lots of it. And then when you look at you know kind of the emergence of players like Neve Charles, it just feels really exciting. I think that this doesn't feel like a team at the end of a cycle. It feels like a team at the start of one. Yeah, I think that's a pretty solid way to sum it up. Abdullah, how would you sum up Chelsea season? Kind of difficult to follow on to that. Uh, but no, I, I agree with everything that, that Jason said. I think it's been a good season, a really good season. I think um, though they played really well against the top sides in the in the shortened season last year, um, I, I think this year they've just been even better, even more clinical. You kind of go into these games almost thinking, yeah, Chelsea are heavy favorites. They should be winning this game, not just by one goal, but almost you feel like they should be winning it by two, three goals almost every single time. That's the testament to what we've come to expect from this side. I think Sam Kerr has finally settled into life in England. You know, I think scoring 20 plus goals in her first full season, you know, in, in this in this season has, has shown that. You know, a lot of people were doubting her ability when she came in January last year. Um, you know, I've been I've been impressed with Melanie Leupold as well. I think she's come in first full season and I think she's given a lot to this team. I think she's given them something different to what Sophie Ingle and uh, Ji Soyun Yoon gave them last year. And, you know, just giving a little bit more control, a little bit more box-to-box action kind of you know going back and forth and and doing things there and obviously defensively 
Magda Eriksson hasn't has looked more important to this side than ever before. So I think, uh, and even Anne Katrin Berger has had a fantastic season, obviously at the Golden Glove as well, and she's made some important saves. And um, I remember, you know, against Sit the, the draw against City, she made a number of important saves at Champions League. So. You can't understate the number of match winners that this team has now now got. Uh, I, I know if they want to if they want to build this legacy and like Jesse said, it's it seems like it's the start of a cycle. If they want to now build this legacy and 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 go forward as one of Europe's top teams, they need to replicate this next season. And it looks like they can. I don't see any reason why they can't. Yeah, that is pretty scary to think about. To be fair, um, but another big moment that happened in the Chelsea Reading game was that it was Pharaoh Williams' last match. Now I'm I'm personally hoping that she gets out of retirement sometime in the next few years and somehow makes a comeback. Um, but for now, she has announced her retirement, a legend to the game. There is that's just a big understatement, even of absolute pleasure to watch, have watched her play. You know, words cannot describe Farrah Williams as a footballer. She's simply one of the most intelligent players that I've seen, even on against Chelsea, you know, she just like, she gets the ball, you see her look up and just, you know, that, that, um, that meme, that gif where like everything's calculating and then the guy's head, that's Farrah Williams when she gets the ball and then she just executes like the most brilliant, like precise passes ever. Um, but Abdullah, we'll start you. How good is, is Farrah Williams? How nice is it to watch her play? Oh, unbelievable. What a pleasure. What an honor to to be able to catch her. You know, I mean, I, I, I mean, not going to lie, personally, I've only caught her in the last couple of years, uh, you know, per se, but um, it's been fantastic just kind of reading up on her and watching, you know, past games and things like that. I mean, you know, a couple of WSL tri- titles, FA Cup victories, 172 England caps. I mean, you know, the, the list goes on. She's played in all the major tournaments um, and she's been a, a vital, you know, cog to every team that she's played in and she's kind of played across the WSL Liverpool Chelsea you know Reading just just to name a couple so I mean it's been fantastic she's got the vision even she had a couple of moments in um in the game against Chelsea where she, I think was off a off a corner the re- she got a pass back and uh and then she had a shot against you know a, a smart shot that where it could have gone for a cross but she actually almost fooled Anne Katrin Berger for that but no it's been a pleasure it's been it's, it's been amazing to watch her watch her play you know Jesse I think you're probably the one that that's watched Farah the most consistently and the most out of the three of us. How, I mean, sum up Farah Williams in just a few sentences, if you can. Yeah, I think she's been a phenomenal player, an incredibly intelligent player at a time where, you know, for a long time, sadly, I think lots of people didn't associate women's footballers with intelligence as much in the same way but she's just someone who's always been able to to pull the strings so so efficiently and kind of one of those real I guess legacy players who who've really seen you know her career's kind of spanned that that growth of the WSL quite quite neatly in some ways obviously when we've just had the the decade up and um she's had some fantastic moments those those back-to-back wins with Liverpool are exceptional and uh I was reminded of it because one of them was obviously uh, Chelsea lost the title on that day and I was reminded of it by Flo Lloyd Hughes on my way to to this Re- uh, Reading game so that was nice of her but yeah an absolutely fantastic player and and she'll be much missed and I'm I'm glad she got to you know kind of really enjoy some of the success and acclaim that's come even more so with with women's football over the past couple of years. Yeah, she's definitely a player that deserves a lot more unfortunately she probably would have played a few more years but um, due to illness, she's she's had to cut it short just to protect her her own well being, um, which is really unfortunate because I think she still had a few more years of top top level football in her. Um, but nevertheless, it's been a real pleasure, Farah Williams. That's probably not listening to this podcast, but anyway, thank you, Farah. Well. We'll move on. We'll keep moving on to the WSL. But before that, I realized that I didn't really give a summary of the table, um, how it finished. So obviously, Chelsea finished first. We've probably said that like five times now. Man City finished second for a fourth consecutive season. That is so frustrating for City fans. I'm fine with it, though, anyway. But Arsenal finished third. Just, they're they're nine points off Chelsea. It's, you know, Arsenal have four losses. Man City and Chelsea only have one. That's the gap right there. That's where Arsenal messed up. Um, But the usual top three, nothing new here. But then Man United finished just outside um, in fourth place, one point from from Arsenal, and then Everton, Brighton, Reading, Tottenham, 
West Ham, Aston Villa, Birmingham City, Bristol City. I did I I did the table at the beginning of the season. I compared it and I wasn't too off, although I put I think I put um I put Birmingham City to get relegated and I put Bristol in eleven, so that wasn't too far off. But I, I gave Aston Villa a bit too much, I must admit that. But moving on to the bottom of the table, as I just mentioned. Unfortunate for Bristol City, they are relegated into the championship. Um, and Bristol City were guaranteed safety with a win over Brighton. And after, you know, Birmingham City um, played Tottenham, obviously Aston Villa played Arsenal and Bristol City played Brighton. It seemed like the most realistic game that one of the bottom three were going to win. Um, and unfortunate for Bristol City, they lost 3-1. Um, the uphill battle started in the seventh minute when Maya Tessier opened Brighton's goal scoring. Um, Lee Guan Min double the lead in the 52nd minute. And Abby Harrison managed to get Bristol City back in the game with just 10 minutes after. And it seemed for a moment, you know, I think everyone was, especially at the Chelsea game, I think we're all just holding on to our phones, waiting for that alert to come through, saying that Bristol City scored two more goals. But then Ines Akagman sealed Brist, um, Bristol's relegation in the 76th minute to make it 3-1 to Brighton. Jesse, what do you make of Bristol's season so far? Yeah, it's been a weird one to judge in some ways because obviously, you know, with Matt Beard coming in, they have had a huge boost. You know, he managed to pick up 10 points with them where they only picked up kind of two in that first half of the season. But actually, if you look at the underlying numbers, kind of the rolling expected goals for and against, not much changed usually under um, Matt Beard's managership. They... (laughs) They defended slightly better, but in terms of conceding expected goals of two rather than three per game. So it's not exactly um, top form that that they were finding. Um, And their attack kind of went down a bit as well over his time. So I think he obviously really pumped up the team. I think maybe having that fresh voice obviously kind of pushed people along. But really, I think it's probably the, the fairest result. They probably were the worst team ultimately. And... I, I kind of think this might be it for Bristol. I'm not sure if I see them ever making it back up to the WSL. And I think it's part of a, a wider trend that's kind of important to acknowledge and think about generally within the, the ecosystem is, you know, seeing these sides who've, you know, invested over a number of years, okay, not necessarily invested huge amounts of money, but are from men's clubs, which, which aren't in the Premier League, which don't have that same kind of funding. And we're kind of gradually seeing them drop out of the top level of football more and more to be replaced by clubs like obviously who are coming up this season, Leicester City. So I think it's a shame to see a club like to Bristol go down, um, but it probably was the fairest result in the end. Yeah, I think so as well. But, you know, they, they do have a f- couple of, of amazing players. Just to say Ebony Salmon, I think everyone's going to say her name sometime in this transfer window. But Abdullah, which players from Bristol do you think should stay in the WSL? I think I think you said it. Ebony Salmon has got to be number one on pretty much every team above, you know, halfway above uh, on their wish list to, to get in this summer. I think anybody that needs a, a smart forward with um, with some WSL experience, you definitely pick up Ebony Salmon, and she's going to give you uh, ten years at least of uh, of, of amazing uh, of amazing play up front. Um, yeah, I mean, the valiant effort was a team effort throughout. Um, a couple of the names like Ella Mastrantonio, if I've said that correctly, you know, uh, she's she was had a pretty decent season. Um, but yeah, realistically, I think it's Ebony Salmon everyone's going to be looking at, you know, uh, that's that's where it's going to be. And Jesse, you know, you mentioned there that you potentially don't see Bristol coming back up to the WSL. Do you want to expand on that a bit more? Yeah, I just think, well, firstly, you know, Liverpool are a cautionary tale for kind of any team getting relegated. I think lots of people probably thought, you know, myself included, that Liverpool would bounce straight back up just because of the sheer amount of resources. And they've got a great squad there and they managed to hold on to lots of players that you didn't necessarily think they would. I know they've since fallen out with Rinsona Babajide, but they kept her. They kept Rachel Furness, but it obviously hasn't worked out for them. This season, there's lots of strange things going on at that club anyway, but I think it speaks to the fact that there are lots of very well-run clubs in the championship. There are lots of teams who do operate on either a full-time or close to full-time basis now. And it's not necessarily enough that you might have players with WSL experience just to take you back up there. There's, you know, when you've got these teams which are really have these long-term plans, have been gunning for their WSL status for a while, I think it can come as a bit of a shock to teams 
dropping out of the WSL the standard isn't maybe as low as they might expect. Yeah, I think that is fair to say. I think the championship is definitely taking it up a notch, especially, you know, recently, obviously we've seen Manchester United, now Leicester City coming into it. And it's it's these clubs that, yes, they've taken a long time to make, you know, a decently uh, supported woman's side. But at the same time, was it worth doing it earlier without actually doing it properly, which is obviously the argument against Manchester United. But we are definitely seeing a lot more clubs invest well and the championship is definitely like, you know, rising up a level because before, I mean, you see it in the WSL, the top versus the bottom, that's a huge gap there. But then the WSL versus the championship was another huge gap. Um, But now I definitely, yeah, I see it closing up a bit and I can see the championship being a really, really good supportive um, league to the WSL and especially the WSL keeps rising and rising and more clubs want to participate in that. So it's just a domino effect all the way down. But I can definitely see um, Bristol struggling maybe a little bit because they are going to lose a lot of their good players. And I don't know just how much the club is going to invest in that um, to kind of with that motivation to get back up to the WSL. But of course, we'll see. Maybe they prove us wrong. You never know. But moving on to another club that um, has defied all odds, I think, this season, especially towards the end of it. Um, Birmingham City have stayed in the WSL despite everything that has happened to them this season. Um, I think it's a team that we've all been campaigning for because of just the poor treatment that they get from the club. The club have made a lot of promises. You know, obviously Birmingham City had a lot of trouble with their pitch this season. Um, a lot of postponed games, just the water lodge pitch, the frozen pitches. And I know the club has promised them playing the men's stadium. And I don't know if maybe they promised that because they thought that Birmingham were going to get relegated and they're like, okay, we're just going to say this and we don't have to worry about it because our women's team is going down. Um, but no, they're still in the WSL and now they have to go through with everything that they said. Um, but, you know, Jesse, Carla Ward, what a woman. She had um, that cider in the post-match press conference. She gave an open bar to the players. They are over the moon for it. What do you make of Birmingham of Birmingham season? Yeah, it's been exceptional, hasn't it, really? I feel like they've been thrown literally everything that could be thrown at a football team and they've somehow still come through it. I think it's real credit to Carla Ward. I think her recruitment's been fantastic. I think obviously what she brings to that group of players like how I feel like she's really had this like backs against the wall mentality and and it's really worked and you know there's I feel like lots of different players have popped up at different times in the season when they've really needed it I felt like um, Rachel Corsi was a a brilliant piece of recruitment and I think really her marshalling of the defence in the first half of the season is what allowed Birmingham to just get those points on the board Um, and and keep them in that strong position. You know, we kind of saw them inching closer and closer as as time went on, but having those points on the board is always better than, than not, as obviously Bristol City found out. Um, and, you know, Claudia Walker also had a great, great start to the season too, kind of faded away, but, but it didn't matter because they they'd won and drawn and picked up those points already. So, yeah, I think... Um, it, it's been amazing what she's done and I'm sure she'll have turned a lot of heads at other clubs as a result. I'd be really surprised if she was still at Birmingham next season. And that is kind of part of the problem is that when you bolster your side with mainly a lot of low knees, you, you're starting from scratch every season, you know? Um, so I think we'll probably all earmark Birmingham for relegation next season again, unfortunately, unless unless something drastic changes. Yeah, it's fair. I think recruitment is... Ward, I, th- I think what she's done with recruitment with the resources that she has has been outstanding. Um, you know, unfortunately, it is most of the low knees that, that get brought in into Birmingham. But, you know, every every manager, you know, Emma Hayes, Casey Stoney, Joe, they all praise Ward because they know the little resources that she has to build a team that has to compete with all these sides. Um, but I mean, you know, getting players like Ruby Mays from Arsenal or Emily Murphy from Chelsea, I think that's brilliant recruitment because these players have played with the top, top teams. I mean, you know, Emily Murphy is is playing with Pernille Harder, with Magda Eriksson in training, and then she gets that experience and now she brings that to Birmingham. You know, it's, it's the best, it is a short-term kind of solution to to what Ward really needs to build a team but it's I think it's the best that she can do with what she has Abdullah what do you think no I absolutely agree I think um you know you guys hit the nail on the head whenever you bring in you know team teams like this whenever they bring in lone players it's 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 tough because you're you know that 
while you were okay in the short term, it's in the long term where you have uh, where you have issues. And if you don't have the resources to kind of bring in, then you're then you're almost living on season to season, player to player. You know, there could be clauses that that take these players back midway through because the parent clubs want them back for whatever reason. But I think players like Ruby Mason, Emily Murphy, I think you know you're, they've almost Birmingham have almost done a, a thing where you know, like you said, Emma Hayes and Joe and all these guys, they praise Carla Wood for her for a management if she does stay you know that kind of gives Birmingham uh, kind of a, a reputation where top clubs will send their young players over because they know that their young players are going to get game time and they're going to actually improve so you almost as Birmingham City are like all right I know that if Emily Murphy and say Rubens go back and they don't come back because they want to be kept they'll go get the next couple of big players from maybe a Manchester United or Manchester City or even Chelsea and Arsenal again and be like all right can we take a couple of your players you've seen what we've done with them we need them again for this season so they're almost caught in this cycle and maybe unless and until they can find the money or the players that can replace these sort of loanies and bring them in as supplements rather than core players. And I think that'll be, that'll work fine. And looking at Birmingham City's opponents, uh, Tottenham, you know, Rand Skinner came in halfway through the season. Maybe we all expected a bit more, but they finished eighth, which I think is fair considering the start of the season that they had. But Jesse, do you think we will see a better Spurs now that Skinner gets to start the season and finish the season? Yeah, I always thought Rahan Skinner was quite an interesting appointment, quite a risky appointment because, you know, she spent the majority of her career as an assistant manager. Um, I know she spent some time uh, as as the head coach at Leicester City, but at a totally different level, obviously. Um, but it is obviously very hard for a manager to kind of imprint their ideas on a side when you're coming in halfway through the season. And Tottenham have a lot of good young players. So I do think we could see them doing a lot better, but it kind of feels like Skinner came up against the same issues that Hills and Amaros had, you know, this constantly rotating forwards because no one could really score any goals. These lapses of concentration in defence, struggling to, to take hold of games themselves, even when they were against kind of lesser opposition. So to me, that kind of speaks to like maybe a broader issue that's going on within the club and within that group of players when you've seen two sets of managers coming up against the same issues. Um, But I think it'll be a really interesting off season. Clearly Skinner is a respected coach. You know, you don't assist a manager at Arsenal and and England and the England youth set up for all that time without not knowing how to get the best of those players, especially younger players. But Tottenham are a very strange team in my mind because on paper they should be doing a lot better than they, they seem to do. Also, can we just remember that Alex Morgan was at Tottenham at the start of the season? How weird is that? I, like, I totally I had forgotten. I did not. I completely <laughs> forgot about that, actually. <laughs> that was so bizarre. Did she even play? I mean, she played, like, what, not less than... Three games, three games, two goals in the WSL. Yeah. Well, didn't she finish Tottenham's, like, top scorer or something? Or, like, pretty close, <laughs> like, top three top scorers or something? Probably um, I think she actually did. I'm not too sure. God, that was so Such a weird bizarre. Move. I can't believe that happened, actually. Um, though I can say that I am stoked to see Shalina Zadorsky stay. I hope Alana Kennedy gets to stay also. I think it's they've they've been underwhelming. Um, I think individually, but if Rian Skinner finds a way to to complement their strengths, I think they can be really big for Tottenham. Um, but enough about them. Moving on to Arsenal versus Aston Villa. If Bristol would have won against Brighton, Villa would have been safe anyway with the draw, and that's exactly what they set out to do, and they got it. Somehow the match finished in a goalless draw and Villa is still in the WSL next season. How Arsenal managed not to score, I don't know, because Arsenal got 80% possession, 18 attempts on goal, four on target, and they managed 663 passes to Aston Villa's 183. I mean, a surprising result there and an, an incredibly underwhelming last WSL match for Joe Montemuro, unfortunately. Uh, but Jesse, you know, given everything that Joe has done for the club, you know, he won the title. He's instilled a, a style of play that has been really entertaining to watch when it's done correctly, of course. And when the players are all, all fit, um, which has also been another problem for him. But Jesse, was this a disappointing last hurrah for Joe Montemuro? I mean, I think given that not much rested on it, it's not the end of the world. I mean... There was one Miedemar chance, which I don't think I've ever seen 
I, I, you just never see me do more missed chances, but I was like, like that blinking man um, from was, me because yeah, I was, was so confused. It was straight to the keeper that one. I don't know how it was a it was a brilliant build up play also. But then yeah, Viv just straight to the keeper, and I was like, um, is but the maybe world that's ending? Me, <laughs> having kind of wrapped everything up, you know, with with the Champions League qualification, that was obviously, and you know, that was like a big task for Arsenal to to get done, and and they did well. They pulled themselves out of a hole when it kind of looked like their season was floundering a little bit and kind of felt like with Joe announcing early that he was moving on, it, it was like that was the what the team wanted to do. But yeah, Montemur has been a fantastic manager. He's, I would say, probably the most, you know, technically interesting of any of the managers in the WSL. And I think it's, you know, kind of sad to see that go. I hope whoever Arsenal replace him with kind of brings that kind of interesting style of play with them too. But yeah, I think he will be looked back on, you know, with the respect that that he deserves ultimately, even if maybe, you know, this kind of season didn't really go the way Arsenal might have expected that it would. Yeah, and going off of that, I mean, you know, Arsenal have world-class players and in theory, you know, on paper, they should easily be challenging for this title. Abdullah, talk us through Arsenal's season and was it a disappointment for them not to be in that title race? I think ultimately I'd have to say so, just because we know what the, squ- the squad that they have and the team, you know, uh, the squad that they have and the teams that they've been able to beat, you know, in the past. It's just it, they're they were such a uh, a stable squad with with a lot of you know class players, and I think they had a weird start to the season. I mean, they beat Tottenham you know, 6-1 and then they go and lose to United 1-0 and then they draw Chelsea and then, you know, they go on a, a bit of a run then they go lose to Man City. So it was a really weird start. Um, and then in a couple of weeks, they lost Man City 2-1 both, you know, in December and then in, in February again. And then they lost to Chelsea 3-0. So it's like weird. Like they started well and then they had this disappointing run in the middle and then they, you know, they obviously they've, they've recovered to not get a Champions League spot. They're back in it again this year. But, it's it's weird because these the games what they lost against City against United against Chelsea these are the games that they need to be more in and what we talked about earlier in, uh, in this episode is you know Chelsea have been so good at navigating these big games and winning them that you know that that this is where this is what Arsenal need to do as well uh, and, and we talked about the number of losses that City and Chelsea have compared to Arsenal and if they can you know if they can if they can get more involved and get better at the bigger games. I think the Arsenal can come back, but I think uh, Joe's had a great time. He's, he's a very astute tactician. I think he's had, um, you know, he, I think he's done a lot with what this squad has to offer. And, you know, whoever the successor is going to be has a great foundation to work off of and uh, and has the Champions League to, to work around. So I'm excited to see what Arsenal do next, who they appoint and who they kind of bring in the summer. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, we can't really talk about Arsenal next season um, without knowing who the manager is going to be, knowing that style of play. You know, there is Joe Ward obviously has left Arsenal for Wolfsburg. That was announced yesterday. And there's rumored to be a few more players leaving. Um, I think they're waiting for that manager to see what they do. Um, but Jesse, you know, we, we talk about the Joe Montemuro that they probably should have competed for that title race and they're lucky that you know the Champions League has extended three teams because if not they would have been sitting out yet again what do you think needs to be done at Arsenal next season to keep up with the top two I think firstly I think if they sort out whatever's going on with the injuries they'd be in a lot better position because I think lots of the problem is is you feel like you've got all of these good players but they play so patchily slash rarely because they're picking up injuries that you feel like they don't really always get that much opportunity to play with each other. You don't really feel like you've got a settled side. So I think that's probably at the core of it. But I do think also maybe there's occasionally been a bit of an over-reliance on Miedemar, um, especially in those bigger games. I think it's become quite easy for clubs to kind of focus on marking her out the game and it doesn't always feel like Arsenal you know I think Caitlin Ford's had a fantastic season and she was exactly the kind of addition they needed for that reason but we know with Rod leaving um, it feels like maybe they just need a couple of more of those players who's gonna like pop up and score goals when you really need it like 
Beth Mead kind of is supposed to be that player, but she only scored four goals this season, which I don't really think is the kind of return you want from like one of your regular like wingers slash inside forwards. That to me is not at the level that you'd expect for a side who really wanted to challenge for um, first place ultimately. Jesse, one of the, the rumoured signings, um, Joe Broad obviously got her replacement already at Arsenal, which is Mane Iwabuchi. What do you think of that signing? Yeah, I like it a lot. I think Iwabuchi is clearly a great player. I love how much her and Viv are obviously just best friends from their Bayern Munich days. So I think that is adorable. And maybe Viv is this staying is, just for that. Yeah, this is Arsenal's ploy. They're like, okay, we've got Lisa and we've got Mana. What more can Viv want at a football club? Um, but yeah, and I think I think she'll bring that kind of creativity, which again, you know, Arsenal at times get from little and knobs, but these are players who again don't always feel like they've got that real regular football in them. So hopefully that's someone they can rely on. I would like them to see them bring in another uh winger or forward. I think they could do with someone like maybe Emily Salmon or Lauren James, like someone who's got just got a bit more of um, just a spark about them. You know, I think that's the thing, like sometimes with Arsenal and Montemuro, it felt almost over rehearsed at points to the points of predictability. You don't necessarily have those players who, who are just going to have those like flashes of brilliance and maybe aren't as, you know, the flip of the coin aren't as disciplined in that way. So that'll be, I think something interesting with the new manager, you know, maybe they're more willing to, to have those players in the squad. Whereas it's always felt like Joe really wants players who are going to follow his instructions, which I totally understand and, and works very well a lot of the time, but maybe that's just what they're, they're missing a bit. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, obviously, Rolfo is a free agent this summer, which wouldn't be a bad signing, though she does have injury problems. So I don't think Arsenal need that at the moment. Um, but if she's happy with playing Viv's backup, I think it would be still a pretty decent signing. And it's she's free. So I it's possibility, but, you know, we'll see. Um, but looking at Aston Villa, Abdullah, they announced the departure of both Vignot and Davies, kind of cleaning out after the season's done, after they managed to stay in the WSL. Do they have a good foundation to build off of? Yeah. I mean, I think they've got a decent, decent squad. I mean, obviously, Mana Wabuchi is, you know, probably on her way to Arsenal. Otherwise, that would have been a very, very great player to keep around. Um, they've got players like Anita Sante, you know, Chloe Arthur. They've, they've got, uh, you know, Lisa Vibe that they got from Leon uh, last year. I think they've got the makings of a decent squad. I think they just need some stability at that club. There's the whole mess with the manager and the interim manager, and there was no clarity between them and who was doing what, and one was going to stay and one was going to. I, the whole thing confused everyone. I'm sure the players were confused as well. Uh, if I'm Aston Villa, I'm looking at Carlo Ward going, "All right, let's uh, let's 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 build something from ground up. So we'll give you some money and let's 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 build something good here." Um, but no, I think I think they've got a they've got a good shot, and there are a couple of good managers out there that they could pick up and um, and, and probably build something from the ground up and really take this club uh, to the next level. They've got they've had a couple of decent results in the season. You just need to build on that now. And moving on to two teams that I think also need to build off of next season, um, West Ham and Manchester City. You know, it's a quick summary of the match is that Mackenzie Arsenal does not like Americans. Um, she obviously saved both Samuels' and Roosevelt's penalty. It was both the same side. Mackenzie Arsenal did the same thing. She stepped to the, to the left and then went to the right and just absolutely brilliant save. It was, um, I mean, what a queen. Just that's it. Manchester City still managed the marginal 1-0 win through Ellen White in the 75th minute. A very typical Ellen White goal, just a little volley with the inside of her foot just to smash it in the back of the net. As we said, this is now the fourth consecutive season that Manchester City finishes second and they have never reached a Champions League final. I mean, they're just, it seems like they're just not doing it to get to the end, you know, the end game. Um, Jesse, where do you think City is going to have to look to recruit next season to, to kind of compete with those, you know, Chelsea and Arsenal? You know, Arsenal went from not competing in the Champions League to winning the title. Um, and then Manchester City just stayed in the middle of that. Um, but where do you think they need to improve on for next season? Yeah, Gareth Taylor said something interesting after this game, which was that he said when they played Chelsea in the Community Shield at the start of the season, they realised, oh, we're several transfer windows behind Chelsea still. But Man City go out and recruit loads every season. So it's not like they're behind. It's not like, 
United, who've only been going for like four seasons or whatever, it's just that the recruitment is tends to be bad. They get these players who move on after a season. So I think I, I personally just was like, this is such a weird excuse to kind of come up with when you literally recruited three World Cup winners and the world's best player in Lucy Bronze. But I think going forward, the Chloe Kelly injury means they probably need to look for another winger. They've been linked with Khadija Shaw, um, who obviously would play up front, which I think would be um, a great piece of recruitment because they obviously never replaced Paulina Bremer when she left last season. Um, And I think that's a problem. You know, Ellen White is kind of getting older. I think bringing in a young striker would be really useful for them. And then given that they bought two midfielders who are now probably both going in Mewis and Lavelle. Maybe they need to look there. Maybe Jill Scott will come back, but you know, she had a really good season with Everton. I kind of think she should stay there. They've been also linked with Ingrid Engen, which I think would be a weird fit. And I personally wouldn't go there if I was her, but you know, that's... Let her go to Arsenal, please. (laughs) But I think that's someone else who, you know, um, they're obviously looking kind of in that profile, but I definitely think they need... For me, I would personally prioritise the forward and winger because I actually think when I've seen Georgia Stanway play in that eight role in midfield for Man City this season, I've been really impressed with her there. So if it was me in charge of City's recruitment, I would kind of leave Stanway there, maybe bring back Scott if you want if you want that kind of support and, and focus on that forward line because, you know, they played pretty much with Hemp, White and Kelly for most of the season and they've been very, very good, but you know, Kelly's now out for at least eight months, probably. White is kind of getting older and you just feel like you're at a lot of risk. You know, if one of those three gets injured, as one has, who who comes in then? Okay, there's, you know, Janine, Becky, Jess Park, but like neither of them feel like they're at the right level, whether because of their kind of ability or age. Yeah, I definitely agree that Man City kind of need to look in that, that forward line. Um, I don't think Ellen White has a good backup um, I think obviously, you know, Ellen White is amazing uh, at playing striker, but she's also, I'm sorry to say this, Ellen, if you're listening also, along with Farrah Williams, um, but she's, you know, she is old. She's not as as quick as, you know, a Chloe Kelly, a Lauren Hemp. I think City need need a refresher in that position um, to, to kind of, you know, just you mentioned there a spark, maybe the Arsenal need. I think Man City need that as well. Um, that that little extra of confidence of a, a newbie coming into a Manchester City side who's like, I need to prove myself and bang, 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 five goals in two games. I'm just, let's hope that doesn't happen. But I'm just saying, but Abdullah, looking at West Ham, they've struggled a bit this season. What do they need to do for next season? Oh, um, I think the, the key word of the entire episode is consistency. I mean, that's they've they've West Ham have a have a good squad. I mean, let's let's put it this: they've got a good squad with uh, with some with some decent players. They've had Adriana Leon's a really good player. Grace Fisk, obviously, there. Kenza Dali's an international. Um, you know, you, 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 Emily Van Egmond's there. You, you know, you, you've got these players who, Jelly Flaherty, obviously, centre back Mackenzie Arnold, we've talked about. They've got the makings of a really good squad. I think they just need someone to steady the ship and kind of give them maybe a little bit more tactically because I think these players, while they are good, I feel like giving them a little bit of tactical discipline and kind of maybe playing in a slightly different way maybe brings the best out of them. I mean, I think for me, that's that's the way forward. But they've got a good squad. I mean, a lot of these, I mean, we've been talking about a lot of these mid-table teams. A lot of them have good squads. It's not like they don't. They've got decently good squads. It's just a matter of, I think it's more on the managers to kind of get the best out of these players rather than the players not being good enough you know I think you know when Villa were um, I think I think one of the stories that came out when when Davies and Bignall were sacked one of the you know the articles I read was the reason they were sacked was they were the the coaches were trying to get the Villa players to play in a way that they felt was unrealistic the board but that's you know that's that's again again I, I go back to that I think the players are good enough from the mid table onwards, it's the managers who have to try and get the best out of their, out of the players at their disposable. Whether they need to play direct football, whether they need to play tiki taka football, it doesn't matter. They just need to find a better way. So I think I think West Ham have one of the better squads to maybe get like you know top six, you know potentially next season. 
Yeah, I can definitely see that happening. Um, but moving on to Manchester United versus Everton, Casey Stoney will be happy to end the season with a win over Everton. Elo Toon and Christy Hansen gave Manchester United a 2-0 win. Um, a brilliant cross from Kristen Press, who hopefully wasn't her last game in a Manchester United shirt. Um, and Christy Hansen uh, scored a header, which apparently is a rarity for her because Casey was buzzing after that, after the match. But you know, Casey Stoney says it's a disappointing season because she didn't get top three. She didn't get Champions League. Jesse, United, you know, missed out on that Champions League football, which makes recruitment a bit harder for them now. Realistically, how do you see them getting on next season? Will it be up to them to reach that top three or will it be down to how the other top three perform? Yeah, I think if they keep Heath and Press, then they've got a very good shot. I think for me, their main weakness is... Defensively, I think even if Heath and Press go in, you know, I think Ella Toon's had a fantastic season and actually quite an underrated season. You know, I thought the way she's been playing with Press recently has been amazing. And her corner for that Kirsty Hansen goal, like that ball was just insane. Like, so... I think she's a really exciting prospect for them to have. Hopefully Alessia Russo comes back from her injury because she looked really good at the start of the season. Hopefully Leah Golton stays fit. You know, they've got lots of good, exciting attacking players. I think really it has just been maybe that back line that's let them down a bit. Maybe if they're, they should be looking to get some new centre-backs potentially. You know, I think Millie Turner's good, um, but Amy Turner's maybe a bit weaker. So maybe there, and they still haven't really sorted out this right back position either that obviously Maria torres was like brought into Phil, but now is also not playing either. So I think that's really where Stoney will want to look in the off season. I think they're a very talented squad and they're a young squad. So I think they can challenge. And I think we've, what we've just seen as we see every year is the WSL comes down to very fine margins and often individual games. You know, if Manchester United beat Arsenal, we're having a totally different conversation right now. So I think it's important to keep that perspective whilst also recognizing, obviously it does have make a material difference on a side, but Manchester United weren't far off. And the only reason it feels disappointing is well, one of the reasons it feels disappointing is because they were out in front and they fell back, right? If they'd come up and it'd been the other way around, kind of like they were behind Arsenal and they pushed them that close, I think we'd say be saying, wow, that was really impressive. So, you know, I think there are lots of positives for United to take from this season. Yeah, I think that sums it up quite well. I think the fact that Man United were at the top of the WCL table come Christmas and then now they find themselves fourth, I think was a big um, kind of slap in the face for Casey because I think, and the entire squad, you know, they were extremely happy that they got that far and then they couldn't keep it up. It was just, yeah, it's just not the greatest end to the season considering that, yeah, there's so many positives taken. Obviously, they were injury prone towards the end of the season, which I think also would have influenced a lot. You know, should Heath would have been, you know, healthy for the Chelsea game, for the Arsenal game, maybe the scores would have been a bit different, um, but they weren't. Um, but Abdullah, how do you sum up United's season overall? I think very impressive, but in the end, disappointing for them just because of the positions that they were in from the beginning of the season. They, I think they, they, they came in, they, they showed at the start of the season that, you know what, we're here to play and we're, we, we can be a, a top three club you know, in the W talent and considering, you know, they've only been going for a few seasons now. It's, it's extremely impressive. Casey Stoney has um, assembled a, a brilliant squad and, you know, you know, having beaten, you know, Arsenal in the beginning of the season, they drew city after that two, two. So they were on a roll, you know, um, but it's just those games. Like I just said, it's just those games. If they beaten Arsenal, totally different story. If they had beaten, if they had beaten Reading in February and not lost two 0 different story. They beaten uh, if they beaten Brighton April again, they lost one nil. Now already there, you win one or two of these games. Like you said, it's a down individual games. You win a couple of these games, or even one or two. You know, out of those three, you win even one. You might even be talking about you know United in third and Arsenal in fourth. But their but their squad is fantastic. Like we've said, they've and and the, and the good thing is, while they may be on that that tier under uh, City and 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 Chelsea and and maybe Arsenal, they've got the brand and the pulling power to bring in these big players. Like you've, you've seen Heath and Press, and the, when they got signed in, they were like, we we came here because it's Manchester United, you know, regardless of whether they've just come from the Championship or not in in recent seasons. 
we want to play for this club and make it better. Maria Sotter's daughter moved from, you know, title winning team to, to United, obviously in hindsight, she hasn't played as much. So I don't, you know, I don't know, but it's, it's, it's huge. And now, okay. Rumors of Lauren James maybe being a target for, for Chelsea and other clubs, but um, you know, regardless of that, it's, it's a, it's a great squad. And I think they, I think they have the ability now and I think they've proved to other top ish players, maybe that just, just under the top tier of players that, from Europe that, you know what, you want to come to us, we can build a great team and we can crack the top three next season. What Casey does this summer with recruitment is going to be really, really interesting. Um, I think they do have the pool because of the title, because of, of you know, the Man United and, and Casey Stoney's an outstanding manager. Um, but it is, you know, you're, you're, Casey Stoney said she wants to look for more experienced players, but you're getting these experienced players and you're not giving them Champions League football. Um, so it has that, you know, that give and take, but it's definitely going to be interesting to what they, see what they do this summer. Uh, but also, you know, speaking of recruitment, Everton did pretty well in the January transfer window. Um, they got pretty decent players. You know, we, we spoke about them earlier in the in the episodes that maybe perhaps they haven't gelled just yet. Jesse, can Willie Kirk get something good going for next season? Yeah, I really like this Everton side a lot. I, I like a lot of the players that they've got there. I think they I think that Valerie Govar injury really stands out to me now as the kind of point in the season where Everton kind of fell off it feels like she's not okay they won the first four games but they were against like the teams in the bottom five but it feels like she's not come back to the level she she was at even and in the you know FA Cup final where obviously she she picked up that injury so I think hopefully over the summer getting her back to the level she was is is really essential for them because it feels like they need more goals and she's clearly a great striker so she will score them goals I think that's yeah, maybe it is just time because, you know, I think Claire Emsley's looked really good at the latter half this season. Jill Scott's been a fantastic addition and I think it would be good for Everton and Scott if she stayed next season. I love Izzy Christensen. She's a great player. So it feels like they've got all the right pieces of the puzzle. But yeah, just as you say, it doesn't really feel like Willie Kirk's quite figured out how to get them together yet. Um, but I thought their recruitment last summer and in January, as you said, was fantastic both times. So I think that also bodes well that for them, you know, when we're talking about Man City, not necessarily always being able to identify seemingly the areas where they need to improve. I think Everton have shown that they're very good at that. So I think, you know, next season go again, another, another run at the top three. I think there probably won't be quite there yet, but I think it's exciting and I would expect them to improve next season. I'm really excited for next season because I think this season, you know, obviously with COVID, we got a lot of good players and a lot of clubs, you know, taking it up that extra level. But now the season's done and now we get to see kind of the the post season. Um, and I think this this part is going to be really important for each club. I think what they do in the summer transfer window, what they do to get their players back fit and ready to go to, to make a good start to the season is going to be really important and really interesting to see the commitment that some of the clubs have to the league. But we'll wrap that up for now. And that will be our last WSL episode. But we will look to do potentially a couple episodes throughout the summer. Um, once the transfer window gets a bit more lively, uh, we'll obviously kind of analyze the players going and leaving, et cetera, et cetera. So keep an eye out for that. But we hoped you enjoyed this episode of Box Box WSL. We can finally say that. And coming up next, we will record a Women's Champions League preview podcast with another guest. Um, so make sure you're following our official Twitter account at BoxBoxWSL to keep up to date with all information and updates about the pod. And thank you, everyone. And see you soon. Goodbye. See you later.